Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. And we will uh, begin our reading with uh, verse 6 of 1 John 5. As you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has, um, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now that you would illumine our hearts and our minds, that you would shed light on this passage, that your spirit would apply it to our lives. You know what that application is. You know it better than we would. And so we are asking you, we are pleading with you for that, and doing so in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. In the Old Testament, uh, we read what kind of testimony is necessary to establish something to be true. Here's what it says, for instance, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what it's saying is that uh, multiple witnesses are needed to testify in order to establish the truth of something. So that's the background. That's what they understood was necessary to establish 
truth. And that is uh, for John uh, when he refers to multiple testimonies agreeing about Jesus. That's the reason. And they would have understood that. Might not have made as much sense to us initially. And yet they got it. So let's take a look at John's arguments along those lines. Uh, First of all, we read in uh, verse 6 through 8 about the water and the blood. Uh, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, one commentator said that this is the most perplexing passage in 1 John. How would you like to start your week that way uh, when you're thinking about uh, uh, speaking the next week. It's intimidating. And yet I already knew that when I, before I read any commentators, because that's what I, I, I begin with the passage itself. I work through it. I, I try to figure out what I can from it before I ever look at any commentator. So I actually felt better when I saw a Bible scholar saying, hey, this is hard. <laughs> this is a hard passage. Uh, so he, he, he speaks here about something that is so essential for the believers there, however. So it, that's the challenge. And whenever the passage is extra perplexing, in other words, it's not something that is so straightforward that that most are going to agree on the interpretation. Typically, that means there's going to be a number of interpretations of that passage. And this one is no different. I'm not going to give you uh, a lot of them. I I just want to give you two examples of interpretations. Then I'll tell you the one that uh, at least makes the most sense to me. Uh, and, and it's, of course, speaking about uh, the water and uh, the blood and trying to figure out what that's referring to. Some would say that, that the water is baptism and the blood is communion. It's talking simply about the sacraments. Now, I think there's some, some validity in that, but I don't think because the the context really doesn't demand that he hadn't been talking about the sacraments at all. So, so I don't think it's specifically talking about uh, the sacraments as, as we, you know, baptism and the Lord's Supper as we celebrate them. Uh, some have speculated that it, it has to do with uh, uh, Jesus when he was on the cross and when a spear was thrust into his side and what came out water and blood. And so some think, well, maybe that's what uh, he was referring to. But again, uh, context doesn't really uh, take us there because he hadn't been talking specifically about 
what took place with Jesus on the cross. So if, if it isn't one of those, what is it? Well, <clears throat> to me, the explanation that makes the most sense is actually one of the earliest interpretations uh, of what it means when it says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And that interpretation is that the water is referring to Jesus' baptism and the blood is referring to Jesus on the cross. And so John, I believe, is talking about the continuity of Jesus' ministry from heaven where he came from to earth and throughout his ministry and through the cross and then ascending back to heaven. Now let me try to explain why, why I think that makes uh, the most sense. Um, I think the best clue to what John would be talking about uh, has to do with the, uh, the uh, false teachings that John was addressing. Now, we've talked about those a number of times. We haven't talked about them uh, for a while. But John was dealing with the heretic Serenthus and his followers. They made a distinction. Don't, don't worry about being able to converse with Serenthus. He's not around anymore and neither any of his followers. But they made a distinction between, uh, the Jesus, between Jesus and the Christ. Uh, in other words, they held that Jesus was just a man. He was born of Joseph and Mary in a natural way. And then the Christ, at a point in Jesus' life, the Christ descended upon this man, and that was at his baptism, and then stayed with Jesus until right before the cross, and then left Jesus again. Now that sounds strange in terms of a, a teaching, and uh, I hope in your mind you're saying, well, that, that doesn't fit with the scripture. It does not. But what John here is, is doing is uh, he's refuting that by emphasizing with the language he uses that Jesus was the Christ before and during the baptism and during and after the cross. Now, how does he, how does he uh, refute that? Here's what he says that he, he is uh, the Christ, not by the water only, that would be the baptism, but by the water and the blood. So the Serinthian followers would have had no problem saying that, he, that Jesus came uh, by water. They, they understood there was the baptism and that's when they thought the Christ came down. But... John is directly addressing their belief that Christ, the Christ was gone before the cross. He says, no, there is a continuity. Now, 
John Stott put it this way. Serenthus and his followers are dead. And their particular creed has no adherence today. Yet all who deny the incarnation, in other words, uh, that when Jesus was born, it was God becoming man. So anyone who denies that, deny that he came by water and the blood. And then he says, this is no trivial error. And this is what I want you to come away with, and that John was addressing, you know, don't worry about that heresy. Okay, it doesn't make sense. But if somebody says, okay, I'm good with that, here's what they're doing, according to Stott. It undermines the foundation of the Christian faith, and it robs us of the salvation of Christ. So if, if God didn't become man at the birth and and be the God-man all the way through his ministry, through the cross, uh, through his death, through the resurrection, and remains uh, God and the the perfect God-man to this day, then there is no salvation. That's why it's so serious. And that's the main thing to remember here. Here's a stop again. If the Son of God did not take to himself our nature in his birth and our sins in his death, he cannot reconcile us to God. Now, if you think you're confused, that's what heresy does. It contorts the truth. And sometimes people get, uh, get enamored by that and think that, well, that, that sounds so scholarly. Yes, maybe that's it. And John is saying, no, don't fall for that. Do not. And he keeps going back to the truth of the gospel of who Christ is. So he's speaking of the continuity. So he's saying these two, two things, the, 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 the water and the blood, the, uh, the baptism and the cross, those are two testimonies. And then there's a third witness, he says, and that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 6, the second part of verse 6. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree agree so the holy spirit is referenced three times in these three uh, verses during his ministry during jesus ministry he spoke of this in john 15 verse 26 he says this but when the helper the helper the comforter the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that's who he's talking about. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So Jesus is saying, look, one of the testimonies, one of the witnesses about me is going to be the Holy Spirit himself. 
So the Holy Spirit bore witness at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, he came down in the form of what? Of a dove, yeah. Uh, and that was represented uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. And he continues to bear witness in the heart of believers. That's the internal witness that we have. So he's speaking of these two outward things. And then another outward thing where uh, the dove came down on Jesus, so validating his ministry. And then there's the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. One commentator said the, the witness of the Spirit is God's witness to us, in us, and through us. To us, in us, and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points toward the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit always points to. So Jesus summarizes uh, the, the Spirit's work. John 16, verse 14. He will glorify me. That's, that's a summary of what the Holy Spirit was to do. So let me give you a caution here. We sometimes... Don't speak enough about the Holy Spirit. But if we, if, if we emphasize the Holy Spirit more than the Word of God does, we're missing the point of the role of the Holy Spirit. He always pointed to Christ. The Holy Spirit never asked for worship of him. Like he said, like with the compass pointing north, the Holy Spirit always diverted attention to Jesus. Amen. That was his role and continues to be his role. So as the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, it is always, it, it's not so we worship the Spirit that's in us. It is enabling us to focus more on Christ. He always and only pointed to Christ, never to himself. So we've got these three witnesses, but there's more testimonies that are spoken of here. Uh, verse 9 speaks almost in passing of those who believe. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. So that first part, uh, the point of the first part, where it says if we receive the testimony of men, uh, of the point of that part of the verse is to bring proportion to the last part of the verse. It's, it's an argument of something smaller to something bigger. So his point is, if we believe men's testimonies, and there were multiple witnesses. They had heard men's testimonies. They were listening to John here. And John is saying, you know what? If, if you're going to believe men, there's something way bigger than that. There is a testimony that is far weightier than the testimony of any man. And so that takes us to the fifth testimony, if the fourth one is of those who believe, and that is the testimony of the Father. 
verse 9. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. It's the testimony. Whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe uh, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. So John has already spoken about the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Uh, is he making a distinction? Here we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is he making a, a distinction between the testimony of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the Father? Yes, he does. It's not a different testimony, but he does make a distinction. Now he's talking about the Father. The Holy Spirit is the internal testimony, and the Father has testified by his deeds and by his words. Now we want to be careful. You can't split up the Trinity totally, but he is here uh, speaking of testimony coming from both, from the Holy Spirit and from the Father. So what about his words? We have the testimony of the Father uh, recorded at Jesus' baptism and by the Word. The Old Testament testifies to Jesus on every page. John 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. There it is. Jesus is saying this at the beginning of his ministry. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. So he's saying the Father's already testified about me, and so obviously you haven't listened to his word because he gave it to you, but you're not accepting me. That's what Jesus is saying to them. He says, Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. He said, if you're really looking at the scripture, really studying the scripture and really grasping what it's saying, you would see that it is all pointing to me. He says, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what scriptures would they have searched? Well, it's the Old Testament. How good is that witness? How serious is the witness of uh, the Old Testament? Well, it's such a good testimony that John says, if you don't believe that, then you're saying God lied. If you don't believe the testimony of the Old uh, Testament about the Lord Jesus, you are saying God committed perjury. That's what he said to the people of that day. Stott again said, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It's a sin to be deplored. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and thus attributes falsehood to him. 
That's how serious it is to ignore God's word. The application, well, it's, it's an easy application in terms of finding it. That's not a perplexing part of this passage. Verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So there are two ways to go. Life or no life. I read a story of a, a, a man named Jake, Jacob Vuza. He was a sergeant major, and he was a, a native of Guadalcanal. In World War II, he worked for the Americans at the Battle of Guadalcanal. Vicious battle. Jacob Vuza was captured. He was tortured. He was bayoneted five times and then he was left for dead. The enemy thought they had done their job. He made his way to a, a shallow river, swam across that river and began making his way up a road. Where the road ended, he didn't really know. And then he came to a fork in the road. He knew enough of it to know this. If he just stayed put, he would die. That wasn't an option. So he had to take one of the forks in the road. One way would lead him to the enemy and certain death. And the other way led to the Americans and life. So what do you do at that point? He said he asked God which way to go. And God showed him. And he made his way to the Americans. And he lived. Today you're at a fork. You've been given clear and multiple testimonies. If you make no decision, you're choosing death. So here's the fork. Whoever has the son has life. That's one way to go. And the other fork is whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. If you ask the father, he will show you which way to go. He, he has testified that life, that salvation is only available through Jesus Christ. Let's bow together.
Lord, as we look at that passage, you are so clear where it matters. You have given testimony of salvation that is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today, will you enable us to hear that testimony, the multiple testimony, but most importantly, the testimony of the Father and the Spirit toward the Son. And then, Lord, enable us to receive the Son and to have life, to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.